Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Katie Davis Majors, with some practical and biblical help for dealing with anxiety. Jesus calls himself the Prince of Peace. So he himself is our peace. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, then we have this peace on the inside, even when things externally are not changing at all. Katie Davis Majors, next. As a former missionary to Uganda, founder of a ministry to those in that country, and mother to a large number of adopted and biological children, Katie Davis Majors knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed by anxious what-ifs and a desperation to control an uncertain future. She believes God hasn't created us to be anxious, so to offer Christ-centered practical guidance, she's written, safe all along, trading our fear and anxieties for God's unshakable peace. Here's Kimberly Birchall. Katie, we're here to talk about your third book, Safe All Along. But before we jump into that, for those who don't know your story, give us a rundown on how a young girl from Tennessee ended up in Uganda and became the mother of 13 native girls and the founder of a ministry by the time you were 21 years old. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited to be with you guys today. Um When I was 18 years old, I went on a mission trip to Uganda for three weeks. I went with my mom, and I just absolutely loved the place. I loved the people. It was so beautiful. Everyone was so kind and welcoming and hospitable. And so I actually decided that when I graduated from high school, I would spend a gap year in Uganda. There was an orphanage there that I was going to be volunteering with helping them with a little kindergarten and preschool program that they had for about 120 children who lived on the orphanage compound. And so I moved back to Uganda after I graduated from high school to spend a year working in that orphanage and just further fell in love with the people and the kids that I got to serve there. And while I was there, I I just got to know these children better and I got to know the community and a lot of time the kids at the orphanage would talk about their parents and their grandparents and their family members and they would talk about these people. They would even go to visit these people and that was really surprising to me. I think coming from an American mindset and just being kind of naive in how things work in the world, I was under the impression that in order to live in an orphanage, your parents must have died. And so it was surprising to me to learn that in East Africa, in Uganda specifically, the majority of children who end up in orphanages and other institutionalized care, they actually, a lot of them have parents, but their parents cannot afford to take care of them. And so often they end up in an orphanage just because of poverty and because their parents don't have what they need to take care of them. Uganda on a whole is a very loving culture, a very welcoming culture, a very communal culture. And so a lot of times these parents want to take care of their children, but they feel that they don't have the financial resources to do so. And this was really sad to me that I didn't feel like that 
was okay. I wanted these parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to be able to have their children, to be able to raise them at home. And so I started paying for a couple of children in my community to go to school. I started providing them with some basic necessities like food and medical care so that they could stay at home with their families. And just really organically through word of mouth, I shared about this with my parents and they said, oh, that's really cool. We'll send you some more money to send a couple more kids to school. And they shared with some of their friends. And before long, in the first year of my time in Uganda, I was sending 40 children from our community to school, providing them with some basic food and medical care and clean water and helping them be able to stay at home with their families and still have what they needed to grow and learn and thrive. And so I founded a ministry. It's called Amazima. Amazima means truth in the native language of Luganda. And so really what we're all about is discipling these children and their families to Jesus, teaching them the truth of God's word and who God says that they are. And so Amazima has grown tremendously. We have over 600 kids now on two school campuses but the heart has remained the same. It's just born out of my desire to love my neighbors in the community in Uganda and born out of a desire to teach them the truth of Jesus. Once I had founded Amazima, I had kind of decided like, this is going to be my life's work. And so was pretty committed to be in Uganda for the long haul. This was now 17 years ago, Um, but had committed really to be in Uganda for the long haul. And over the next several years, through various different situations and different things that happened in our community and different families that I was in relationship with, I started engaging in foster care for some children who sometimes because of a different family situation, because of an emergency, they wouldn't have family that they could live with. Mm. Um, And so I had started to foster some children, sometimes for a short time and sometimes for a long time. Sometimes I would take a foster placement and we would think we were going to find a different family solution. And then we wouldn't, for whatever reason, there would be different things going on in the family where it wasn't safe for them Mm. to go back and live at home. And so over the course of the next several years, God brought me 13 foster daughters. They were five five groups of sisters, so they were five sibling sets. And for those, we had lots of different kids in and out of our care over the years. But for, for those 13 girls, um, I ended up going on to adopt them. And so they, you know, they're now a permanent part of my family. Many of them are grown. This was so long ago, but many of them are grown up. And so that's kind of the beginning of my story in Uganda. How many of them are out of the home now and how many of them are still in the home? And then you have two biological children also, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So we have 15 children in total. And yeah, a lot of them, like I said, a lot of them are grown up now. So we've got six who still live at home with us. And then we have nine who have kind of launched and they are in college or working or married, um, just out in the world doing their own thing. Do any of them live back in Uganda? Our oldest is back in Uganda. She's working there as a social worker. And then everybody else is in the Nashville area. 
Okay. And where along in that timeline did you actually get married? I kind of know a bit of the backstory in that you knew him because he was a missionary there as well. So a couple years after I moved to Uganda, Benji came to Uganda to do mission work and we just became friends. We had some mutual friends and I hosted a Bible study in my house on Wednesday nights that a lot of young people in the community came to. And so he came to the Bible study and we just became friends and he became just kind of a part of our community. And so that's how uh, we got to know each other. And then we became better friends in about five years. We knew each other for about five years before we got married. We probably knew each other for about three years before we really started dating and thinking about pursuing marriage and then got married later. And so I already had the girls when we got married. And so he was marrying into a very big family, but was really excited about it. And you now have two boys as well. So 13 girls taking care of two little boys. (laughs) We have our girls, and then we went on to have two boys, and we all have a lot of fun together. Oh, that's great. Katie, your first two books were birthed out of personal experience. What experiences in your life led to writing this book? Yeah, my first two books were definitely a lot of stories of what we were kind of living through and walking through as a large family and and as a ministry. Um, This next book was really born out of a season for me of a lot of anxiety. We had several really hard things happen in our family, uh, back to back, some different medical diagnoses and things that were really difficult that led to a lot of anxiety for me. And then of course, there was the pandemic and the world shut down. We actually had children already in the U.S. going to university here while we were still living over in Uganda. And so there was a long season of time where we couldn't get to each other. Travel was not possible. And that really increased my anxiety. And so I had just really, really wrestled with some hard stuff and was in a place of feeling like, okay, Lord, I know what your word says. I know that you say that you leave me peace. You know, Paul talks it in Philippians about a peace that passes our understanding. And so intellectually, I know that that is something that God has promised me, but I don't think I know how to live that out in my everyday life. And so I started kind of outlining and writing this book, not from a place of expertise or feeling like, okay, I have this mastered, I know all about it, but more from a place of a deep desire to learn and to ask God these questions. How, what does it look like? How do we practice peace in our everyday lives? What do we do with our anxiety when the world is increasingly chaotic, right? If my outward circumstance is not going to change, What do I need to change inwardly in my heart so that I can experience this deep peace of Christ? And, you know, it's a little bit humorous because I started writing this book and I pitched it to my publisher and they said, yeah, we're in, we'll publish it. And then just a few months later, we actually unexpectedly ended up moving back to the United States. And so we had been living in Uganda for 15 years. You know, all of our children were born and raised there. Our whole lives were there. Our ministry was there. Our home was there. And on a three-week trip to the United States just to visit some family, there was talk of another lockdown. And we were, again, looking at what it it would look like to be kind of locked on two different continents. And there were just a lot of other things kind of in our family dynamic that were playing into it, as well as the external circumstances. And 
Benji, my husband and I both really felt that the Lord was asking us to stay in the States for a season. And so at first we kind of said like, okay, we'll stay for six months. And by the time six months rolled around, um, our kids were doing well in the schools we had them in here. And so now we've been back in the States for about a year and a half. And so unexpectedly, um, my book, Safe All Along, kind of intersected with that really unexpected change in my life of moving cross-culturally and living not in America for the first time, but living in America for the first time as a wife and a mother, as an adult. All my adult years had taken place in Uganda. Everything that I learned how to do as an adult, I learned in Uganda. And so Though I was moving to my home country, I, I felt like I was moving to a foreign country. And so, as you can imagine, that increased my anxiety tremendously. And so I feel like God was so kind to have me already asking those questions and already really seeking his peace. And I felt like as, as I had to seek it even more in that really uncertain season of my life, he was faithful to teach me. And so Safe All Along is both. It's my personal story of my wrestle with anxiety and the ways that God met me in that. And it's also, it's some really practical steps uh, that help me, that have helped me learn to walk in his peace and embody that in my life and in my home and that I hope will help others. I feel like uh, so many of us, are so anxious. So many people I talk to, it seems like the world is just kind of increasingly chaotic and uncertain, right? And so how how do we stay as believers? We want to stay just deeply rooted in who Jesus is and in his promises to us and in the promise of eternity as we move through this world that is so out of control sometimes. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to write these words? I confess control has been my idol, the Mm -hmm. apple I just keep biting into. Yeah, it was hard to write most of the words in this book. I felt like there was a lot of a lot of personal conviction, a lot of growth that God was doing in me. And so a lot of those words were like hard but good. You know that good hard where God is just refining you and stripping away stuff that you know needs to be stripped away. And ultimately that, I think, I truly believe that leads to a deeper relationship with him. What do you find the area of your life that is the hardest to relinquish control in? My my kids, absolutely. And so I think not only are moving, but also having so many of our kids over the last few years, so many of our kids have become adults and kind of launched out into the world and are doing their own amazing things. And it's really, really awesome and beautiful to have your kids launch and be their own people and do all the amazing things and impact all the people that they're going to impact in the world. But it's also just such a stark reminder of how little control we have, you know, because when our children are little, okay, sure, maybe we know that we're not totally in control, but we can feel kind of in control when they're still under our roofs, especially when they're still little enough that you're kind of making the meals and tying their shoes and doing everything for them. I think you feel as if you really can keep them safe. And man, as they go out into all the corners of the world, it is very apparent that I never could 
keep them safe, right? They were always gods before they were mine, but that's just as they've grown, I've had a more and more clear picture of that. And so, you know, obviously your children, you love them so, so, so much. You want only really, really good things for them. And they're living in the same broken and hard and messy world that I am. And so they're going to have hurt and they're going to have suffering and there are going to be things, hard things in their lives that I can't fix for them and that I cannot protect them from. And that for a mother is very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And so surrendering mm -hmm. control in that area, surrendering them to God is like a daily thing that I have to practice to just say, okay, Lord, they are in your hands. And I believe that you are a good and kind and loving father. Talk with me for a minute about the first question asked in scripture and why it's a good question to ask ourselves. Mm, so I love, I mean, of course we all do, right? I love the picture in those first few chapters of Genesis because I think it just shows the character of God so truly, right? You have man and woman designed in his image. God desires to just be with them in community, to walk with them, and then sin enters the world as they eat of the fruit and they run and hide because they're ashamed. And I think we are so often ashamed, right? I could have felt that even as I wrote that line you mentioned earlier about control being my idol, right? My my go-to is to be ashamed of my sin and ashamed of my failure. And so um, we put up these walls and we, we put on these different faces and we try to hide in various ways. And as Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden, God comes to them and he calls out, where are you? And I just, I think what a beautiful picture of God doesn't, he's not coming and saying, what did you do? Right. And so often I hear his voice like that, but that's, that's not his voice. His voice isn't condescending. He isn't this disappointed father. He's not after them to say, Hey, you messed up. He's after them. He wants to be with them. And so he calls out, where are you? Because he, he wants to be with them. He wants to restore what they have broken. And so I think that's, a, that's just a good question that I ask myself a lot. Where am I in relation to God? Because so often I can feel that God is far off or that he has forgotten me or that when suffering comes, when these hard times come, maybe God has moved away. But in reality, God doesn't ever move away. It's me who pulls away. It's me who runs away and hides. God is always right there. He is always pursuing us. He is always after us. He is always, in, in a sense, looking for us. Of course, when he asks Adam and Eve where they are, it's not because he doesn't know where they are, right? If he says to me, Katie, where are you today? It's not because he doesn't already know that, but maybe he asked them that as a way of self self-examination, right? Why are, why are you hiding? What are you hiding from? And so I think I ask myself that question a lot, just where are you? Where, where are the places that you're trying to pull away from God? Where are the places mm. that you're trying to hide? Where are the right. places that you're trying to control that you're not surrendering mm. to God? Because, you know, surrender for me, if I truly trust God, then I can surrender anything to him. And the more I surrender to God, the more that increases, 
my trust in him. And the more I trust him, the more I'm going to have that felt peace that he promises us. You remind us that Jesus didn't tell his disciples to take heart because it was going to be easy. So why does he tell them to take heart? Right. So he says, in fact, he says the opposite of it will be easy, right? He says, in the world, you will have trouble. It's like, oh, thanks. (laughs) But he says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And I think, man, so often we just are not living like that is true. I know in my own life, I am not living like that is true. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians to say these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. And man, that just, that just shifts everything just in that same way that Jesus's statement that he's overcome the world. It shifts everything because suddenly my problem, my suffering, my hardship that seems so huge and so all-consuming, and I can get in this spiral in my head thinking, what if, and what about this, and what about that? But man, in light of eternity, any suffering or any hardship I face here, no matter how deep it is light and momentary, because Jesus has overcome it, because this is not all there is. We are promised forever and ever and ever and ever with him. And so anything that happens here and now, man, he's already overcome. I'm speaking with Katie Davis Majors, wife, mother to 13 girls and two boys, missionary, and author. Her book, Safe All Along, Trading Our Fears and Anxieties for God's Unshakable Peace. Katie, what did you learn as you studied the word shalom? Shalom is just this picture of wholeness and completeness and even salvation. And so I I actually have been studying the word anxiety and learned that the Hebrew word for anxiety actually translates to this idea of being pulled apart or cut up mm-hmm. in many pieces. And that so deeply resonated with me because that's a lot of times what I feel when I feel anxious. I feel distracted. I feel divided. I feel pulled apart. I feel cut up. And so the idea that the the word shalom, peace, means to be whole. God wants to take our anxiety, our cut upness, our pulled apartness, and He wants to put us back together. He wants to make us whole, He wants to restore us. How do we go from peace being an elusive state of mind or the absence of hardship or something we muster up to peace being a person? I think that that has been a really key shift for me, right? I I think that I want to think of peace as like a quiet day or a little getaway, right? Something external. I want my external, chaotic, loud, messy circumstance to change so that I can have peace. But really, that isn't the kind of peace that God is promising us. Again, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? The trouble, it's not going away. And I think for a lot of us, we might feel that the trouble is only increasing. But peace, is it's not It's not this external circumstance. It's not something we can create. Jesus calls himself the Prince of Peace. So he himself is our peace. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, then we have this peace on the inside, even when things externally 
are not changing at all. And I talk in my book, Safe All Along, about some practices that I feel like God has given me that have helped me to walk out this piece in my day-to-day life. And some of them are really, you know, they might appear really simple, right? Spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, not relegating our quiet time to this specific time of day, right? It doesn't have to be just, I have my Bible out and I have my journal open and I have my cup of coffee. Those times are wonderful. I love them. But more than that, we need a constant communication with God throughout our day. Just like I would pick up my phone and shoot a text to my best friend. I need to constantly throughout my day be saying, God, I need your help in this. God, what do you think about this? God, what should I do about this? And so I talk about these different things that have helped me to practice peace and to practice connecting with Jesus, who is our peace. What lesson about peace did you learn from your friend Abigail? Abigail embodies peace like no one I have ever known. She is a good friend. She lived near me in Uganda, and she decided several years ago that she was going to move her family back up to where she was from, which is this very, very remote, very dangerous region of Uganda. And I was so concerned about this, this and that and this and that. And she said, well, if I don't take the gospel, who will? This is this is my home. These are my people. I'm taking the gospel to them. And I was like, okay. And then she called me later to actually explain to me that she and her family were in a pretty dangerous situation. And I started crying. I was so concerned about her. And she just said, you know, God who kept us safe before will keep us safe again. And she was just so sure and so certain that that was true. And I think about those words so often when I am tempted to just kind of let my thoughts spiral in worry to say, no, God who kept us safe before will keep us safe again. She's so certain of the character of God, and I want to live with that same certainty of who God is. If I recall right, in the book, she says something to the effect of, well, if the robbers come and steal everything and kill us, Jesus has me here and Jesus has me there, so everything's okay. Yes, and she just has such an eternal focus, right? And I think we can get just so focused on what is here and what is now. And for her, yes, it's this picture of Paul, right? To live is Christ, but to die is gain because even if I lose my life, when I lose my life, right? We all will. It's just when, when I lose my life, I will be with Jesus and that will be better by far than anything we have on this earth. And I tell you, I can say those words, but examine my heart. Am I living like I believe that? Or am I living like today's the best thing I've got? Next week is the best thing I've got, right? I'm I'm making my plans and I can get so focused on the things that are here and now in this life that I forget that no, we're just passing through here. As you mentioned already, you give some practices in the book. Because some of them, like you said, reading our Bible and praying and those kinds of things are important and they are in there. But how about learning to lament? Yeah, that has been really a journey for me. 
I don't know if it's my American mindset or my upbringing, but I think I'm really conditioned to think that I can only have one emotion at one time, right? I can be happy or I can be sad. I can be grateful or I can be disappointed. But lament kind of brings it all together. And so we look in the Psalms and in some of the Old Testament, and we see that the Old Testament prophets and David and the other writers of the Psalms, they seem very able to just kind of live in many emotions at the same time. David is often like crying out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? How long, oh Lord? And at the same time, he's coaching himself like, yet, oh my soul, praise God. Yet I will praise you because you are faithful. Yet I will see you in the sanctuary. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's both at the same time. He is sad and he is hurt and he, sometimes he is struggling because of these awful consequences of his own sin. He's done it to himself. And other times he's got people after him and it's not his fault, right? And so we find ourselves, this is the reality for all of us, right? We have consequences of our sin and we have things that stink, that are awful, that are just happening to us, not because we did anything wrong, but because we live in this broken world. And we see in the Bible that David is able to come to God with his honest and raw emotion and still praise him at the same time. And so for me, that's just been a real process of learning. I don't have to clean things up before I come to God. I don't have to always put on this happy face. I can come to God and say, I'm really sad about this and I'm really worried about this and I don't really see how you're working in this and yet I know your character to be good and right and true. And so will you teach me again to believe that you are good and right and true? You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Katie Davis-Majors, author of Safe All Along and founder of Amazama Ministries. Coming up on tomorrow's program, Jordan Taylor on what attracted her to New Age practices and spirituality and how she left it to follow Jesus. And, you know, a quick Google search will tell you that yoga and meditation and all of these New Age things bring about relaxation and help you feel good and and bring about healing. And healing was a big message for me that I felt like I needed. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.